Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. I have SMA Type 2, and I am a columnist and forums director for smanewstoday.com. Welcome to the SMA News Today podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. And joining me today is back returning to the show, uh, Chaz Hayden. He is a Pennsylvania-based author, um, and his debut novel, The First Thing About You, just released earlier this year. Uh, we had Chaz on a while back before the novel was published, and we're really excited to have him back. This is a book about a 15-year-old boy named Harris who has SMA, and he and his family move, and he's trying to reinvent himself. So, Chaz, really glad to have you back here. Hey, Kevin. Awesome to be here. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I'm really excited. I just finished the book this week and um, really enjoyed it. And um, just as for our listeners, this will be a spoiler-free discussion. We are going to get into um, some of the characters and like very basic like early plot points probably, but nothing. Has, so if you haven't read the book, still feel free um, to listen here. But we will talk about more about the book specifically, whereas the last episode was more just a general chat with Chaz. So um, but go pick it up. I will put a link um, in the description. So uh, before we get started, if everyone could please listen to a brief word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Genentech, the makers of a treatment for SMA. Whether you're living with SMA or are the parent to a child with SMA, make a choice today that could impact your future. Visit TreatMySMA.com to see why treatment matters. Okay, so Chaz, um, again, thanks so much for being on today. And yeah, I really enjoyed the book. I think it's really cool to see this kind of disability representation. Um, and I'm a big fan of the young adult genre. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, my first question is, um, and again, you don't have to go into spoilers in the book here, but how much of the book uh, is inspired by your own life and experiences? And then how much is fictional? Oh, man, you're coming in heavy right away. Got it too. I gotta uh, pack them in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I get this question all the time. You know, I would say when I when I first started writing the book, um, it was more just me trying to just write a very classic teenage romantic comedy, right? Story, and I just so happens like I wanted the main character to be disabled, and SMA is really the only disability I could authentically speak about, right? I can't speak about speak from experience on other disabilities and i think along the way there's obviously similarities in like how how it feels in terms of like when he feels isolated or lonely or just him trying to make friends or just even the relationships he has uh with his family right are very similar to to mine and some other people i know with sma and yeah i think that the the things that are the most similar are just emotions. Um, there are and some scenes, you know, kind of woven in and spread out. Like for some reason, very funny stories happen to me in the bathroom. Um, there's I'm not going to say too much about that, but uh, if if you read the book, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, I think anyone with a disability has some pretty good bathroom stories. Um, and yeah, and then his. Uh, experience and situation with his teachers and the school district and the accommodations like that is very much um, how I experienced, unfortunately, my education when I was in public school. And I'm sure a lot of other people as well. And I thought 
that was really important to to kind of give a perspective of SMA, but also make it generic and, and fictionalized enough where anyone can relate to it, disabled or not disabled. No, absolutely. And like you said, I think it has all those tenets of a YA rom-com. And, you know, I mean, just for, I will give just the basic setup here to the novel. So um, I said, Harris is a 15-year-old with SMA. Uh, he and his family moved from California to New Jersey. And um, th- when they get there, they're trying to figure out a care plan for him. Um, he goes through a couple bad nurse experiences. And I will, I did want to ask real quick. So the bathroom story that I, I, I think you're referring to. So that did actually happen to you. I won't, again, I will not spoil it for for anyone, but. It, it, it did. So, so both bathroom scenes happened to me. The one in the beginning and then the one at the way end with the brother uh, happened to me. And um, pretty much word for word, exactly how I wrote it happened to me. And, but uh, sad, I don't know if it's funny, sad, unfortunate. The one in the beginning, I was actually younger than Harris. I was probably like 11 when it happened to me. So, yeah, but it, it was my my uh, my uh, reaction to it was pretty much spot on the same. <laughs> I'll just say I have some pretty crazy aid and caregiver stories as well. But that one topped the list. So, again, this is I'm, I'm doing a plug for the book here, because if you really want a good laugh, it, it is early on in the book and it's great. Um, but anyway, so Harris does go through a couple of bad nurse experiences until he finds uh, Miranda, who is um, a nursing student a few years older than him. And their relationship is central to the book. And um, again, I won't spoil what happens there or um, how it evolves, but uh, but we will talk about that as well. Um, but the other thing out of the book that's really central um, to its theme and to its plot is that Harris um, vo- it has this theory about people's favorite colors and uh how a person's favorite color is an indication of their personality their strengths and weaknesses in very much the same way some a lot of people um focus on zodiac signs so where did this idea stem from it it was not a part of the original idea for the story um i was probably like 50 or so pages in to the original manuscript and I just kind of felt like the story was missing something. I wasn't really sure like what that was. Um, and coincidentally, around that time, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And we were talking about how if you're out at the mall or the office at your job and you see people wearing blue or red, like a lot of people wearing the same color that day. And, and then that kind of that conversation morphed into just a generalized color psychology and theory uh, discussion that I really knew nothing about. Uh, and I went home that day. I just found it really interesting. And I went home that day and started looking up like, all right, similar to Harris, my favorite color is blue. Right? We have the same favorite color. And I looked up what that meant. And the description and the personality traits were pretty spot on. Then I went on to look up some of my friends and family. And it, and it was, it was like kind of scary how like accurate it was to the people I knew. And then I just had this idea. I'm like, you know, I wanted to find this this kind of through line, if you will, in the story that that kind of glues that this idea, this topic that Harris thinks that everyone judges him based on his disability. Like as soon as he enters a room, the first thing they see is his wheelchair and they create assumptions based off of that. 
So what if I give him a tool, something that's really innocent, as like asking someone your favorite color, and he can kind of weaponize that the same way he thinks they judge his disability. So that's kind of how it how it began. That's really interesting because I was that was one of those things I was wondering. I'm like, was this something you thought about growing up and you wanted to insert? Or that's fascinating that it actually didn't come um, into the story until you were already well into the first draft. Yeah, I was well into it, and it was really hard. I remember like, all right, I want to try and do this, and I kind of sprinkled. I didn't know how much was too much at first. So like the you know the first kind of draft, it was like. It was there, but, like, it wasn't there. And, like, some people who read it were like, I think it needs more. And some people were like, maybe it's all right. And I remember when I uh, finally signed with an agent, and we were kind of talking about revising it before we sent it out to publishers. He was like, you know, you either have to go all, like, this is an interesting idea. And for it to work, you either have to go all in on it, right, or just take it out. It can't be, like, half. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time making sure that the, the backstory behind it felt kind of authentic. Nothing really felt contrived or, or over the top manipulated, but it really felt like something that a, a child would, would start with and kind of take with them throughout their adolescence. And, um, I'm really happy with where, with where it ended up. No, I think it's great. And I mean, what I love is, um, so one of the other big characters in the book, Nori, who's this girl he likes at school, um, you know, he's desperately trying to figure out her favorite color and she won't give it to him. And um, I love that dynamic. And it, it again, fits <laughs> into these like great rom-com. Um, yeah. Dynamics. And and that, that was another thing that changed. Like I thought a lot about, you know, for people who have to read it, it was like, you know, does she, sh- does she share her favorite? Does she reveal it? Does she not reveal it? Um, I'm not going to give it away, but that that choice of whether she does or does not end up revealing her favorite teller was something I went back and forth with. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, the decision she makes is is very uh, vital to sort of the outcome of who Harris is by the end of the story. Definitely. I, I And I really like that and how it plays out. Um, and then going back to Miranda, again, I want to avoid spoilers here, but obviously she's crucial to the story. And um, I found one to be one of the more compelling characters uh, in the book, um, as well as the relationship between her and Harris. So I, uh, it sounds like you did change a lot as you were writing, but with Miranda and her backstory and that whole relationship, did you have that figured out early on? Or was that something that evolved as you were writing? Huh. I, I, I feel like, Going into it, I wanted to give Harris a really fun and like exciting nurse, caregiver, whatever, um, someone to be around, someone completely opposite of him, right? Um, who's sort of like his conscious, if you will. Like she's both the angel and the devil on his sh- on his shoulder at the same time. And I never really had like an end goal of what I wanted out of the relationship. I kind of started it out in the beginning and, and you know, it, it's, it's strange to say, but I really did let it evolve organically as I wrote the story, trying to figure out who the characters were becoming. That's not to say that it was perfect. You know, the first time around, there were a lot of things that Miranda does and says that I kind of 
added, take out, add back again, like everything and their and their dynamic together um has to feel like it like it's real. Like everything that they do, whether it's you know, provocative or, or fine or whatever it was, had to feel justified from before that. Right. So it's like, okay, Miranda and Harris are doing this now. Why like why are they doing that and what happens before in the story to kind of lead up to that point? So that's a lot of what was sort of the revisions that I worked on, you know, once the relationship that was like, all right, this is going to be something that's kind of different and unique from a lot of YA stories that we, that we read. She's not just going to be this like fun, bubbly person, but she's really going to play a, a, a role in the story. Um, and yeah, I think that it, I just kind of let it flow naturally. Like I said, did, and on that note, did you ever have any caregivers growing up that you became really close with, whether it was just, even if it was just platonic or yeah. um, close I, to your age? I think it's, I, I say this to people all the time, because people ask me who've read the book that are not disabled. Mm-hmm. And they sort of ask me, like, you know, is I, is this really authentic? And I say, as an adult, when I mean, you have a disability, it is much easier to keep things professional. And say, like, your job is to care for me. Like, we can be friends, right? But, like, there is a very definitive line between caregiver and and the person they're caring for. As a child, especially, like, as a teenager, I remember when I had nurses, it was really hard to not get attached to them, right? They're doing things that are so personal. And they're with you every day of your life, almost, Right. Even sometimes more hours in the day than you're with your parents or your siblings. Um, and I thought it was only natural for Harrison and Miranda's relationship to evolve in the way that it does. Um, not to give, but it doesn't get to the point where it feels entirely inappropriate or over the, over the edge. At least to me, it doesn't, but it feels like, you know what? Harris becomes so like, um, just enveloped in who she is. She's like just this, this huge mystery to him um, and everything opposite of who he is and everyone that he's ever met. So how could he not just be mesmerized by Miranda? Um, and when you're you know, that vulnerable at the age of 15, that just felt right to me. No, I totally agree. And it's interesting because so growing up, I didn't really have any caregivers other than my parents. Like we, I didn't start really until college, but um, and then I ended up having the same primary caregiver for seven years. And we definitely became like, right. And and close friends is an understatement, but like, um, but like I can totally see myself if I had started that process in high school or um, around that time, I would definitely have become more emotionally attached, especially with someone I connected with, you know, it's really hard. And and like, I, I'm not going to lie and say I did, like I didn't have a relationship like Miranda and Harris, but I had nurses that I cared very deeply about and they cared for me. Like they're with you so much. They become like family, right? Like they're there for holidays. Sometimes they're there on your birthday. Sometimes, right? Like they're, I've had nurses that I've known for, for 10 decades that have, have cared for me. Right. So how can you just keep it uh, professional? You can't. Right. Yeah. And when you become um, sort of that, like enamored by someone, if you will, the relationship uh, evolves much faster 
And, you know, Miranda is sort of based on people I've known or people I maybe I wish I knew, right? Like you're saying. Um, but yeah, I've had nurses growing up that became, I became very close with and some I am still in contact with and, and some I'm not. But I've also had nurses just like the ones Harris, Harris has in the beginning that just don't work out, right? Uh, everyone, everyone goes through that. Yeah, and again, that one, I mean, Isaiah, I did not have, like, at-home caregivers growing up other than my parents, but I had um, aides at school, which was a similar, you know, and yeah. um, and I always, yes, I have, oh, several of those, like, I could easily write about, and and then I had a really long-lasting one who was great, and so it's, uh, like you said, it's it's so fascinating, this connect, the similarities we have um, in the disabled community of, like, stories like that that are, you know, seemingly too absurd to be true, but it's like, like the bathroom one, you wrote about, I'm like, I bet this happened to him. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. I wanted people who are disabled to read this and be like, yeah, I've been through that, right? Mm. Or I've been through something very similar. And I wanted people who are who are able-bodied or, you know, uh, to, to read it and say, like, wow, like, that's eye-opening to me, you know? But not, like, not pitying Harris or sympathetic, but more empathetic and understanding and just becoming more aware of what of what young people with disabilities go through. Absolutely. I think you very much captured that. Um and it's yeah, it, it like you said, it's not in a pity way, but it's just insightful and we all go through right. awkward stages as teenagers and we all have vulnerabilities and um and I like how you presented that. So um oh, thank you. Definitely. Well we will be back in just a minute if everyone could please listen to one more word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible by Genentech, the makers of a treatment for SMA. If you are living with SMA, the subtle changes that happen from one day to the next can be hard to notice until a key function is lost. Many people find that these changes can impact their life, not just physically, but also emotionally. Since the progression of SMA is relentless, taking action now is important. If you've waited to go on treatment or were told there were no treatments for you, now might be the time to talk to your doctor. Breakthroughs in science have led to more options than ever before in treatment and care. Choosing a disease-modifying treatment can make a difference. Why wait? Visit TreatMySMA.com to see why treatment matters. Okay, so Chaz, uh, on that note, uh, like many young adult novels, yours balances things like humor and tragedy and teenage angst with optimism and all those things. What were some of the books and authors that influenced you the most? Wow. Uh, that's really tough. There's a lot. Like, I would, I'd be lying if I say I don't like John Green. Right? Like, I do like John Green. I like some of the stuff that he does. and Or I like the the sort of, um, you know, vibe or, like, the, the nuances of what he's trying to say. Um, and, you know, there's a ton of other authors, uh, John Curry Rayleigh. Um, who's a YA author? He wrote books like Where Things Come Back and um, Noggin and Highly Illogical Behavior. Um, so I think I, I've always been um, influenced or inspired by uh, authors who, who tell a true, authentic portrayal of a teenage experience. And that's what I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to like create a cartoonish, patronizing, like, you know, image of what it is to be disabled in 15, but something that is really just earnest and in your face and, and sort of bold and provocative about certain 
um, parts of the story. And I, and I think a lot of the authors and books that I've read over the years are, are the ones that felt like a lived experience. Like you were saying, like you wondered, um, you know, what, what uh, scenes and parts of the stories were, were, were real to me. And I think that was my, my hope all along is for someone to say like, like, you know, kind of prove to me this didn't happen to you. Right. Uh, that was kind of the point. And those are the stories that I've, I've always been drawn to. Absolutely. And did you know you wanted to write growing up? No, I, 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 I enjoyed creative writing. Um, and actually recently I just met with a group of teach of student teachers um, who read the book and we kind of talked about it and something I brought up to them. I was like, can we stop the persuasive essays? Right. Like, can we just stop doing that? And like their professor had mentioned that in her like seventh or sixth grade and just class, she doesn't even do it anymore because I used to love writing. Right. And then you, you reach a certain point in your education journey and, <laughs> and everything is like your thesis statement, then your three supporting paragraphs. Right. And it's just, it's just the same over and over. And it's so structured and like clinical and, and just very sterile and boring to me. Um, I know there are people that like academic writing. I just, I just don't. Um, and, you know, it wasn't until college I had a professor that said, forget everything you've ever learned about writing. And when I give you an assignment, just sit down and write. You know, don't worry about structure. Don't worry about, like, thesis statements. Just write and that really opened me up and and pushed me forward to enjoy write, writing again. And then once I graduated college, um, I didn't have a job right away when I first graduated back in 2015. I had a lot of free time. And I and, and during that time, I read a lot. And I read a lot of YA. And at some point, I don't know why, I was like, you know what? I think I could do this. I could write a story. Maybe I just had experiences that I wanted to share, disability or not. Um, so I took the time, you know, writing short stories and poetry and, and going to feedback groups and getting critiques and and reviews from, you know, people at the library and just meetups and stuff like that. And then um, just kind of getting better at it. And the more I did it, the more I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I'm passionate about this. That's really cool because I, because I, if I remember correctly, wasn't your degree in like job something in finance? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I studied finance in college, and I, and then I ended up, you know, uh, shortly about a year after I graduated college, getting a job. I, I still have a full time nine to five in finance, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's sort of the complete opposite spectrum of what I do, and I think. Hopefully, you know, as I continue writing, will become, uh, you know, my main, my main thing that I do. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, as it like as an English major, and you know, I've um, been writing on time. Like, I wish I was well rounded in that respect and could do like that. But I'm not good at math and numbers at all. So it, it, it's <laughs> nice when you can have that balance there. I, I don't um, think I'm good at numbers and math either, but I've convinced myself I am. <laughs> I mean, hey, you're working in it, so, you know, but, um, but that, and, well, I was going to ask that, so that is your goal eventually to write full-time, or, like, are you... Yeah, 100%. I, uh, I just finished the manuscript to to my second novel, um, so I'm working on that right now, 
um, with my publisher. And yeah, that'll be out in I get two years from now, probably. But yeah, I'm excited about that and excited to just continue sharing stories and, and, and writing. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, another thing I wanted to ask about the book uh, is, and we talked about this a little bit before recording, uh, but one thing I found interesting is that neither Harris nor his parents seem to be connected with anyone else in the SMA community. So was this uh, how it was for you growing up? Yeah, it was pretty similar. Um, so, and it was sort of partially my fault as a kid. Um, yeah, and I don't think this way now. And, and I wish I didn't think this way back then, but I always felt like as a child, like I was somehow different than anyone else that was disabled. Like it was almost like a form of ableism in itself. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not that type of dis like disabled. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't choose to 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 uh, involve myself with other people with disabilities. Um my cousin also has SMA and I was pretty much the only other uh this person with disability that I knew, um aside from things here or there that I would attend but never really uh, fully commit to um so yeah i think when i was younger it always just kind of felt like it was just my parents and and me and my my brother and my nurses and it was just us you know and um i i think if i added in a layer of any sort of outside community um i think it would have taken a little bit away from what i was trying to say in the story which was Really, it's just Harris's experience um, and his family's experience in, in their new town and, and a brand new state, you know, a totally different side of the country. Um, and who knows? Like, I always say that the the book has so much that can be expanded on, expanded on if, if I end up, you know, writing a sequel or if it's ever, you know, maybe one day turned into a series or something. There's... There's so many directions that it could it could it could go in to expand on. Like, yeah, maybe they they do meet up with, with the SMA community or, or something like that, and and that becomes a part of it. It's definitely an interesting thing to to venture into. Well, I was gonna ask that if because you mentioned like your next book. I'm guessing that's separate. But do you have uh, is is this something you would want to do a sequel for, or you're not sure yet? Um, I don't think. I don't think I'd ever write a sequel. I just not, it just doesn't feel like that type of story to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I don't know what I'd say next. Um, I have in my mind what I think Harris goes with and what I think Nori goes and Xander and Miranda and his family. But then I also like the idea that, that readers come up to me and they give their own opinions and ideas about where they think they go next. And I just, I just really like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd ever write a sequel. The book I'm working on now is not connected to it. Um, it still has themes of SMA and disability in it. And I, I'd say that there are some Easter eggs hidden throughout the new book that if you read the first one, you'll get them and you'll kind of laugh at them. Um, but if you didn't read it, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's sort of like, a, if you know, you know, kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, uh, as of right now, not planning on continuing Harris's, not in written form, who knows? Well, and I like what you said too about it, it is the kind of book where it is self-contained and it also lends itself to interpretation and particularly with like 
where the characters go from um, the end of the book. I, I like that you kind of leave it open to the reader's imagination. Yeah, that, that was really important for me. Uh, I think in all of my writing to never make anything like clear cut at the end. Like, um, you know, some people like to wrap everything up in a little neat little bow at the end. And I'm just not that type of writer. Um, I kind of like to leave things up to not, not, I'm not saying that there's like a cliffhanger at the end or anything where sure. you're gonna, I'm gonna get like angry DMs or something, or something like that. But it just sort of leaves it where you're like, you know what, I, I feel comfortable the ending and I can sit with this and, and kind of envision for myself what happens next. Absolutely. I really like that. And well, I know the other thing I want to ask about, we touched on it too before recording, but the cover is really outstanding. And I, I remember when I, picked up a copy of Barnes & Noble, the um, employee there remarked about that. Can can you talk about that, getting in touch with the cover artist? So the cover, I was up front right away with my publisher, and, and I don't know if all publishers work differently, but I'm like, I want to be involved with this as much as possible. Um, I, know, I, I just know firsthand that some authors don't want to be involved in that. It's not important to them. Um, for me, I thought the entire sort of, package if you will how it's presented from cover to cover was really important to me um even the inside you know uh sort of how the sections are broken up and what's in the header of each page was important to me and how the chapters are kind of formatted and so when the artist was kind of sending over ideas um they just didn't really stand out to me they didn't feel different enough from from what i see on shelves right now um, within the YA genre. And I remember, like any good idea, it came to me in, in the shower. <laughs> and I, uh, I was thinking a lot about like the favorite color, you know, plot and aspect of the story. I knew I wanted the cover to be really abstract um, and not sort of, you know, something I don't like about covers now Um within YA fiction is that they tend to put an illustrated version of the character on the front of it. And what I love about reading the most, like comic, comic books are different and comics are different to me and like even graphic novels. Like I appreciate when they illustrate the front of it, like that's what it's intended to do. But I think for like a novel, um, that just, that sort of, aesthetic wasn't really fitting and and i like what i like about reading is is picturing what i think the characters look like right especially in a novel um so i was thinking about favorite colors and sort of what that idea meant this idea of judging seeing what's not there and then thinking about the title right the first thing about you and um what came to my mind was the colorblind test we take at the eye doctor and I'm not sure if you sort of picked up on that or not. That's cool. Um, but that, I, I, I honestly, I mean, I knew I knew there was a color angle there, but I didn't think specifically the colorblind test. And that, that's brilliant now, but I <laughs> yeah. say it. Yeah. So all I, I, I just found a random picture of the colorblind test, right? Uh, and I sent it to the artist and my editor. I'm like, I don't know, do something like this. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember the artist came back and said, this is either a really genius idea or it's, you know, terrible. And I was, and I hadn't even opened up the file yet. I'm like, oh boy, what am I in for? And I, as soon as I opened it up, 
um, the the file opened up really huge on my computer for some reason. It must have been zoomed in. And all I saw was just the dots like right in the center and, I, and, and the title. And I'm like, as I zoomed out, I'm like, oh my God. So if you notice, the, the, the title on the front is not font. It's made up of the dots, right? That's so if wild, you take yeah. away the dots, there's not going to be any, any, any writing on the front of the cover uh, besides my name. Um, so the dots are making up the, the title, the first thing about you. And if you zoom in on it, right, digitally, or bring it closer to your face, if you have a hard copy of it, you'll notice that the dots become a lot more clear and the title starts to blur a little bit, right? And the farther away you bring it up and zoom out on it, the dots become blurrier and the title is a lot more crisp. And I thought that sort of justification was was just really interesting and fascinating and kind of just explained the entire point of the first thing about you, so. I love it. See, that's just so cool because... I mean, when I first looked at the cover, I'm like, this is awesome, but I wanted to, like, look, you know, I'm now going to look at it totally differently, just from that description and, yeah, you know, and then, and everything. Yeah, and then the back of it, um, you have a little wheelchair dude on the back that's made up of the dots, which then kind of wrap around to the front, so I thought that was kind of interesting, like a sort of metaphor of Harris kind of leaving the trail of the colorful dots behind him. Um yeah, I mean, and then, like, even just coming down to textures, like, if you're reading it digitally, you're not going to experience it, but, like, the dots are, 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 are sort of a matte finish, and, and the white part of the book is, is glossy to kind of give it a different feeling in your hand while, while you're holding it. You know, it's not just all one material. Um, and then the dots have, like, a what they say, neon ink. It's printed with neon ink, and uh, I didn't know what to expect. Um, when they said that, and I remember when they shipped me my copies of it, I opened up the package. I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "Is that too bright? Is it not? Is it? Is it like? Is it too much in your face?" But uh, now I've grown to really like it. And the thing I like about it the most is, um, it's different. Like in in every medium, every format, it's different. Like it looks different for the ebook, right? It's not. It's not printed with neon ink, so the colors are a little bit more subdued and, and darker and not as bright. Um, for the um, United Kingdom edition, uh, theirs is a paperback, so it's a little bit smaller. And they have some other, like a, like a, a slogan on the front at the top. So they had to, they had to literally hand do all of those dots to make it fit. On. So I like that. The American version, is, the dots are kind of in a different place than like the United Kingdom version of it. And I thought that you wouldn't really get that with any other cover design besides one where you really do have to, the artist, unfortunately, has to draw each one of those dots on the front. That is, they do have the work cut out for them. But I, but it's so cool, though, knowing that that's how the title comes together. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was important for they cover to tie in and make sense with the title. Um, and yeah, just to me, it looks really awesome on a shelf. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chaz, thanks again so much for coming on today. And um, my last question is really just, 
I know I end every episode about this asking for advice. Um, yeah, for others in the SMA community, but specifically, I want um, if you have any advice for other writers with SMA, whether it's about you know getting breaking into the industry or just like how to tell your stories. What's something you want to tell to other aspiring authors uh, with SMA? Yeah, hundred percent. So I think it's sort of two two things. My generic advice to any writer, disabled or not, um, is just figure out your voice, what you sound like, um, what you want to. Don't try and sound like anybody else. Don't be influenced by anybody else. Um, figure out what you're trying to say and how you want to say it. And once you do that, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable um, with your writing and a lot more confident. Um, for people with SMA um, or any disability that want to get into writing, you know, when I when I started writing this book, it was important for me to to share a disability experience, but it was also important for someone when they finished it that like I would be offended if they said that's a disability book, mm-hmm. right? So they needed so much more than that, and um, it was really intentional for me to make sure that when Harris or the story kind of meant talks about and mentions some of the challenges and and inequalities that Harris goes through, that it didn't come from a place of anger, right? That it was more like, because I'm not an angry person, right? And I don't think Harris is an angry person. And the story that I wanted to write was not angry. So I think because of that, and how I sort of uh, prepositioned the story to people who are not disabled, right? Which we unfortunately have to accept are the ones making the decision on whether the thing should be published or not, we're able to uh, understand the points I was trying to make in terms of disability, where the feedback I get now is that the story didn't lecture me. It taught me, right? It sort of like spoke to me as if, as if I was your friend and we were just having a conversation, right? Like it wasn't Harris or me on top of a, of a, of, of a soapbox, if you will, and just yelling, at the world about disability. It was just sort of like carefully woven into his everyday life and the things that were happening to him that it wasn't like, this is happening to me and this person is ableist and therefore the world is terrible. It was like, no, you understood that when Harris goes out on a date that like he has to think about what restaurants he can go into that are accessible and that and that the person's with him has to feed him, right? Like it's sort of in his life but it's also just a part of like the normal teenage anxieties that he has on the sta- at the same time. Um, so yeah, I just if you want to get into writing, um, make sure that you're saying it in a way that makes people understand the message that you're trying to say. I think that's great advice, and um, and yeah, and and I I totally agree. I think this is the kind of book that um, yeah, it, it boxing it into one category of disability is reducing it to something it's not i mean it's uh, yeah. you know it's there in the ya section for a reason because it is um right. has so much in common with all these other books and um it's a unique one in that it um speaks to the disability experience but there are also a number of other components that make it such a just a universal story no thank you so much for saying that absolutely well Chaz, thanks again so much for coming on today this is great and uh, for listeners out there, you can pick up the book um, online in stores. Um, Chaz, where? What's your website and social media? Can people find you? 
Yeah, so the book is sold. Anywhere books are sold. Um, I have friends that are like, can I get it at Amazon? I'm like, yep. Can I get a book? I'm like, yeah, anywhere a book. The dude on the street. Yep. Anywhere a book is sold. Um, so I feel like our society sadly doesn't know how to purchase books, um, which yeah. might be an entirely other discussion. Um, but yeah, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter for now um, at the Chaz Hayden. And my website is chazhayden.com. And I post some SMA blogs on there sometimes. I have a YouTube channel where I share some funny stories. So yeah, always open to people if you want to message me your favorite color and just talk about funny disability stories or if you read the book, always open to meeting new people. So yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, Chaz, thanks again so much. And uh, for our listeners out there, you can find more stories and conversations like this by subscribing to the SMA News Today podcast. You can also connect with us directly on our forums and follow smanewstoday.com for all the latest SMA news and perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Take care. The information in our flash briefings and podcasts are provided for informational and educational purposes only. Be sure to tune in daily to SMA News Today for the latest news and perspectives regarding the disease. Discover more content that might be of interest to you at www.smanewstoday.com and be sure to follow us on social media and join our SMA News Today forums, a trusted SMA community ready to welcome you anytime.